Welcome to Dentists, Puns, and Money. I am your host, Sean Terrell, and my guest on today's episode is Colin Carr. Colin is the CEO and founder of Carr Healthcare Realty, and his company works with hundreds of dentists all over the U.S., assisting both tenants and buyers with their dental practice real estate. In our conversation, we discuss the many provisions dentists should ask for when renewing the lease on their practice space, including the specific language they should have in the assignability clause. We also discuss the important steps and considerations for a dentist who owns their practice real estate and what they should be doing well in advance of a practice sale. As a reminder, our company, Dentist Exit Planning, helps dentists leaving clinical with the personal financial planning piece of that transition, specifically how to reduce that massive lifetime tax bill and also how to optimize living off of your assets. If you are interested in guidance on your taxes and your income as you exit clinical, you can schedule an initial consultation with us on our website, which is dentistexit.com. Our website, again, dentistexit.com. And with that introduction, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Colin Carr. All right, Colin Carr, welcome to Dentist's Puns and Money. I am excited to hear your story and thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Sean. I appreciate it. The place I always like to start is just to give uh, the audience a little bit of background about our guests. And so for you, let's start with a little bit of, of your story. Can you share kind of where you've been and what brought you to this current point of, of your career? Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, grew up in in uh, northern Michigan, so lower peninsula, but but northern lower peninsula, a uh, really cool resort town called Charlevoix. And uh, when I got the point of trying to decide what I wanted to study in college, I could not make that decision. So I did the proverbial, I'll, I'll take a semester off and then I'll, I'll research it and figure it out. During that time, I met a gentleman that was uh, heavily involved in commercial real estate, mostly multifamily. And I started working for him and I got hooked on real estate. So I've been doing real estate since I was like late 18, early 19 years old. And I, I did mostly property management for like the first three, four years, um, moved to Colorado in my early 20s, um, got into brokerage, and I started doing mostly large national retailers at that point. I was doing work for Walmart, Wendy's, Blockbuster, people like that. Switched to focusing on more office and industrial a few years into my career. And long story short is uh, I got asked to list a medical office building. I really enjoyed working with the doctors. So I started going after more healthcare, more, more medical. And I became a full medical real estate broker. I was mostly on the landlord side, though. And over a short period of time, I had a number of transactions that I was involved with where healthcare providers were, were doing transactions without representation. They were just trying to figure out how to do deals or how to sign contracts. And I had a number of transactions where, where I watched. I was on the landlord side with sophisticated landlords. The doctors were by themselves. So I had a EMT on one deal, plastic surgeon on one deal, a dentist on one deal. And these, these doctors just got completely manhandled in these transactions. And they had no clue. They had no idea they were paying literally like tens of thousands of dollars more per year rent than they were supposed to. They were missing like very significant concessions they should have achieved that they could have achieved if they were properly represented. Their lease did not have the terminology it was supposed to have. If they wanted to sell their practice, there was all these things these guys were missing. And so for me, just the light bulb went on and I realized that the doctors needed a significant amount of help and that it was very much an unlevel playing field. Like they were at a huge disadvantage 
And the landlords obviously weren't going to tell them that. They weren't going to say, hey, by the way, go hire representation. They were glad handing them. They were telling them things like, if you don't use an agent, we'll give you a better deal and making all these statements that were not true. And so early 2009, I made the decision to go all in with the model, only healthcare, only tenants and buyers. And so I launched our company, uh, CAR, in early 2009. And today we now operate nationwide. We represent thousands of clients per year and uh, we're, we're coast to coast. Really interesting story and uh, someone that uh, can relate to going all in and niching down on a, a specific part of the market. So are you guys, you guys are healthcare, right? Not just dental specific, but dental makes up a significant portion of your business, I assume. Correct. Yeah. So we are, we are healthcare only. Uh, we do a significant amount of dental. So I think like, you know, we're, we're founded in Colorado. I want to say we've done over 900 dental deals in Colorado over the last 14, 15 years. But yeah, we're, we're nationwide. We do all healthcare, but dentistry is a huge portion of our world. So this podcast has become more and more focused on dentists that are transitioning out of clinical. So theoretically, a dentist that either owns or leases their real estate where their practice is based. So kind of with that as the backdrop, what are a few of the key items that uh, a dentist who is starting to think about transitioning out of clinical sometime in the next few years should start thinking about from a real estate perspective? That's really broad and, and we can, can pair off from there, but I kind of just wanted to start with the big ticket items that you think a, a dentist in that scenario should be thinking about. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great question. I mean, the, the obvious statement on that one is real estate is going to play a major impact or a major role in any transition. Now, there's certainly going to be certain you know, dentists that decide to simply sell their charts or sell their goodwill to maybe a competitor or a large national group, and maybe they're going to close down that location. And so in that scenario, real estate might not have as much of an impact on their you know, timing the transaction properly as far as getting out of the lease and, and having the lease expire to where you, know, you can sell your charts, sell your goodwill, and close it down. That's one aspect. But let's assume that's not the case. Let's assume that that the person who purchased your practice is going to want to continue in that location. If you lease your space, there's a lot of things that we need to be paying attention to. You know, number one, when is your lease expiring? And then here's a couple of variables. And, and Sean, feel free to jump in at any of these and comment because I can I can go long in any of these. But if you have a lease coming out for expiration, a lot of healthcare providers will say, "Well, I'm just going to let the new person deal with it." That might not be the best. That that might not be the best decision for your practice. For instance, here's why. If you have a lease coming up for expiration, you could you could wait till you find the buyer, yes, or you could renegotiate your lease. And if you renegotiate your lease and you're able to achieve more competitive lease terms, that's going to increase your profitability. It's going to increase the value of your practice because your practice, a portion of it's going to sell on goodwill and it's going to be based upon your, your net revenue, your profitability. So if we could renegotiate your lease and you could obtain a lower lease rate, that's going to make your practice more profitable and hopefully it'll help your practice to sell faster. Additionally, when you renew a lease, you typically can get significant concessions from landlords to renovate your space. So if you're going to be selling your practice, again, you can wait for the buyer to do it. But if you have the chance to renegotiate yourself, obtain a lower lease rate, and then also obtain concessions like tenant improvement allowance or, or a remodel allowance, you could put in new flooring, you could repaint your space, you could maybe put in new cabinets, new countertops, a transaction counter, you know, you might upgrade the lights, you might upgrade the blinds, and you could do things aesthetically that make your practice appear more desirably and give it a better feel. So that's important as well. 
And then there's also things you can still do with the business terminology. People say, well, I don't want to renegotiate the lease because I want to get off the lease. That's no problem. The, the landlord understands if you sell the practice, that's going to be a priority to you. But here's the question. Are you going to have the ability to achieve more favorable terms on a lease renewal? Being an established dentist who's been there for you know, 10, 15, 20 years or longer with your financials? Or is the new dentist who is just getting started or is younger in their tenure or career who doesn't have your financial strength, are they going to be able to negotiate better terms? The answer is you're going to be able to. So you can you can typically achieve more favorable terms as the dentist renewing if you've been in the space with lease rates, tenant improvement allowance. You can also go after concepts like free rent. You might be able to get three or four months of free rent on a renewal, which also would help improve your profitability or just put more money in your pocket. And then on the business side of it, you can still negotiate an assignability clause that states that if you sell your practice, you're removed as the guarantor and that the, the landlord agrees to accept the new tenant who purchases your practice. Now, there's a whole lot we can talk about in that assignability clause that's very important. So we'll leave that as a placeholder. But if you're going to be selling your practice, a lot of dentists will say, I'll just wait till the, the new person shows up. That's one way to look at it. And that might be the best decision. But a lot of times you can capture lower lease rates, more concessions, you know, more more profitable terms if you do it yourself. And you can actually make your transition smoother in the future by teeing up a clause that states the landlord will accept the new tenant before they even show up based upon certain criteria. So a lot of interesting things in there and the light bulb went off figuratively over my head a couple of times just with some things that you said. You know, we're living in this time as we record this in 2023, where anything that you buy, like take real estate out of it, nothing seems cheaper now than it did a few years ago. But what I, if I heard you correctly, it sounds like for someone that's been in a, in a commercial space, a dental practice that's been in a commercial space that has had a lease already, when that lease is up for renewal, there is an opportunity there, a good opportunity for a dentist owner to renegotiate that lease in in terms that are more favorable maybe than the last lease that they had. Did I, did I hear that correctly? And if so, can you kind of expand on that? You talked about some improvements and you also talked about uh, rent or a lower lease uh, per month than maybe than had been the case in the past. Yeah. So even with the inflation that we've experienced, which, you know, if you've been paying attention to the economy is, you know, 40 plus year high, even with some of the crazy things happening with supply chain, leases today still have an annual increase in them that outpaces the, the cumulative inflation, believe it or not. So yes, we've experienced in the last two years, crazy levels of inflation. But if you look at most leases that have an annual increase, which is 99 of 100 leases are going to have an annual increase, those annual increases outpace inflation over a, over a five or a 10 year period. And so when you get to the end of a lease term, whether it's 2023 or whether you go back three or four years, the lease rate that the dentist is paying is typically higher than they are marketing vacant space at if there's vacancies, or it's higher than they would be marketing your space at if you were to vacate. Landlords want to make you believe that the annual increase is the current lease rate, and that even if you've had nine increases over a 10-year period, whatever you're paying is still fair. It's very rarely the case. Typically, you're above market. And typically, if you handle the lease renewal properly with a competitive strategy, with a posture, you can get the landlord to reduce your lease rate to a current market value. Additionally, when you're doing a lease renewal, a lot of landlords will, will try to get you to believe that they don't do concessions like free rent or tenant improvement allowance or renovation allowances on renewals, but that's not true. If you were Charles Schwab, if you were Lockheed Martin in an office space, if you were Starbucks or Chipotle in a retail space, anytime those tenants renew their leases, landlords are contributing to the deal. They're giving them market lease rates, they're giving them free rent packages, 
If there's build out, they'll give them build out allowances. They're giving them tenant improvement allowances. And they're contributing to the deal because those landlords know if these tenants move out of the space, the landlord is going to give the next tenant the same concessions and typically to the tune of like two or three times that amount of money. So if you have a lease renewal coming up, you should be expecting a lower lease rate in the majority of scenarios. Now, keyword is majority. There are times where maybe it's not the case, but but it, more times than not, I'd say eight or nine times out of 10, your lease rate should be going down, not up. And eight or nine times out of 10, you should be achieving free rent packages, tenant approval allowances, et cetera. Now, again, if you just go ask your landlord, will you do this? The answer is going to be no. And if you <laughs> ask your landlord, will you do this? They're going to already understand that you have no clue what you're doing. So you don't just ask them for it. You have to have a strategy. You have to have a posture. You have to approach the transaction the way that a sophisticated tenant a large retailer, a large national company, Fortune 500 company, how do they approach the real estate? If you approach it the same way, you will capture those concessions. And those concessions are, are worth a lot of money. It's typically worth minimum tens of thousands of dollars. And honestly, for an average dental space being, let's say, two, 3,000 square feet, it's typically worth $100,000, $200,000, either in your favor or in the landlord's favor. Those are big numbers. Is this something that's a relatively new development or a cyclical development with commercial real estate post pandemic and more people working from home? Like I'm getting really high level broad here. Is, yeah. that, is that a huge assumption or is this something that's sort of always been there that uh, maybe just people haven't known existed or known to ask for? It's always been there. It's It's been there. Well, it's been there for the last several decades, put it that way. I, I don't, I can't speak to what's happening 40 or 50 years ago for dentistry, but um, I've been in commercial real estate for over 20 years now. And it, it's always been there. So again, the idea is, and this is not meant to be a, a shot at dentists, no one's talking about your, your clinical skills or your ability to, to run and staff a practice and do a great job leading the practice. We're talking just commercial real estate. If you take how most dentists approach commercial real estate and you compare that to how, how does Whole Foods can, uh, approach their commercial real estate? Again, Pick, pick a company that you respect nationally. I don't care if it's a grocery store. I don't care if it's a fast food restaurant. How, how does how does Chipotle approach their real estate? They have thousands of locations. They lease the vast majority of how do they approach their real estate? I, I know how they approach it. I can tell you how they approach it. It is dramatically different than how most dentists approach it. And the only difference is the mindset of the tenant. Chipotle says, listen, we're not going to be taken advantage of. We're not going to pay an above market lease rate. And we know what above market lease rates look like because we've been to the market and we have three or four other properties teed up ready to go. If you don't cooperate with us, Mr. and Mrs. Landlord, we've got three other properties where we've already negotiated with them. We know what we can attain or achieve at other properties. If you don't give us a free rent package, if you don't give us a tenant improvement allowance and we vacate the space, we know for a fact you're going to give the next tenant a tenant improvement allowance. You're going to give the next tenant a free rent package. So we're not asking for anything that you wouldn't give someone else. Likewise, we're not willing to accept significantly lower concessions or, or higher lease rates than someone else would re receive as well. It's, the tenants aren't trying to hurt the landlord to put them out of business or help you know, have them get foreclosed because the deal is so egregious. They're just saying, listen, I need you to treat me the way you treat a brand new tenant. And I need you to treat me the way you would treat a sophisticated tenant that's not going to get taken advantage of. And that's the difference in mindset or in preparation going into a deal between an individual dentist and a large successful corporation. And I think it just gets to the higher point that, and this is, again, I want to reiterate the point that you, you've you made as well. This is no shot at dentists. I'm often sympathetic to dentist owners and all the things that they have to keep track of and be good at. How in the world could they 
be an expert on commercial real estate and renegotiating their lease every five or 10, when they're only doing it every five or 10 years. And they're, you know, their expertise is in clinical dentistry. But what keeps popping up for me is just not knowing what they don't know or not knowing what to ask for, which again, gets back to finding a qualified expert in that area that can represent you that you trust to make sure you're getting a fair deal based on what the market conditions are. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, we try to try to delineate all the time. There's a difference between finding a property, like calling on a sign or getting online and going into a database and downloading a brochure and, and you quote finding the property and then you securing terms and signing. That's not a successful transaction. That's completion of a transaction, but that's not a successful transaction. And I joke about this, but at the same point's true. Like I can remove my own tooth. Okay. Um, you know, Tom, Tom Hanks showed people how to remove a tooth in Castaway. You get an ice skate or rock and you can get your tooth out of your mouth. Okay, great. That's not a successful transaction. So it's not a matter of whether you can do it yourself or not. It's a matter of how do you do it the most, the most profitably? How do you protect your time? And then how do you protect yourself from a legal or business perspective as well? There's a lot of things in life that you could do that don't make sense for you to do financially or don't make sense for you to do legally. And so you bring in the expertise to do it for you. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of, of, of actually being savvy and being um, a lot more heightened in, in expertise, finding the people that are the most qualified, letting them come in, and then they're going to achieve terms and they're going to deliver a process that is not able to be achieved if you do it yourself. Such good points in there. And it's funny, you use the the castaway, the movie example, because I've I've used that uh, before too, to sort of differentiate between <laughs> getting something done and getting, getting something done right. I want to circle back. Uh, you touched on it earlier in our conversation, but the uh, the idea of assignability of a lease. And this is important because in my experience, anytime a dentist is considering selling their practice, confidentiality is of the utmost importance. And there's a perceived uh, greater amount of leverage, the more confidential a potential transaction is. That gets a little bit gray when you start talking about assignability from where I sit, because you've got to sort of tip your hand, maybe, and, and I'm interested in your perspective on this, about what you might be doing in the next five to 10 years if you start dancing around the idea of, of, of assignability. So kind of with that as a backdrop, how should a dentist think about assignability in a lease? Well, I'll say this. I'll say that if you're going to, if you're going to key into any point in this podcast, uh, this next part is worth the price of admission. Okay. The, the assignability clause and that every dentist should be paying attention to. So let me, let me just start by giving a general overview. Some of you already know this, but I'm going to hit probably a level that you might not have thought about before. So you know, in leases, you have the ability to have what's called an assignability clause and or a sublease clause. Usually they're separate. Sometimes they get combined, but they mean different things. And so what that allows you to do is if you wanted to let someone else enter the space, either to sublease space and, and lease a portion of your space, if you, maybe you're a pediatric dentist, you want to bring in an orthodontist, what have you, or if you wanted to sublease to someone else, you can do that. Or the assignability deals with what if you actually want to have another entity take over your lease, right? And so there's a couple of things here. Number one, you want to make sure that you have that clause in your lease to allow you to do those things. But once you start getting into the details or the complexity of an assignability clause, the next most important thing you have to be aware of is it's imperative to have an assignability clause that allows you to be removed as the tenant and removed as a guarantor. So people a lot of times get blinded by this idea, well, I have an assignability clause that's great. Does it give you the right to be removed as a guarantor? And this is the number one place where dentists that are exiting a, a practice or selling make a mistake. They'll say, well, I have an assignability clause, and then we'll look at it. 
and it doesn't guarantee them to be removed as a personal guarantee. So sorry to use the word guarantee twice, but. No, let me interrupt you there. So what does that effectively mean that a dentist can assign a lease, but at the end of the day, if the other, if the new party defaults on that lease, the buck still stops with the original dentist. Is that effectively what it means? Yeah, a significant number of landlords are going to try to keep the selling dentist on as a guarantor. Let's say maybe they send a 10-year lease and there's like eight years left and they say, well, all right, well, I have the right to assign it. Here comes the buyer. The landlord says, great, we'll accept the new buyer, but you're still on the hook for the next eight years. The landlords will fight the senior dentist to not get off that lease. And you say, well, why would they do that? Well, think about it. The dentist who's in the space is a proven commodity. They've been paying rent for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And they look at the senior dentist who's selling their practice, their financials, and they're you know, 50, 60 years old, what have you. And then they look at the individual dentist buying the practice if it's not a corporate group. And they're like, all right, well, this person's 28 years old and you're 60. Like, Let's look at the financial statements. You're way stronger. We want you to stay on board. So having the assignability clause is imperative, but equally imperative or, or very much needs to be paid attention to is the idea that you have to have an assignability clause that allows you to be released from the lease of the transaction and that the new dentist will be accepted. And even honestly, even when it's a corporate dental group that has huge financials, you'll still find landlords that will say, well, I'm sure they're successful. And yeah, I see their financials, but big groups go out of business all the time. And you know, who knows if the patients are going to accept them. And so you'll still see even with landlords, when a corporate group is buying the practice, they'll still try to keep that selling dentist on the hook and say, you know, I want as much protection or guarantee as possible. So looking at this just from an outsider, my thought in discussing this would be you want that on the lease from the beginning. You have to fight for that from the beginning. And to put words in your mouth, is that a deal breaker if someone, if a landlord won't concede that point in the beginning? Should you walk away from a from a piece of real estate based on that alone up front? Yeah, I, I wouldn't walk away from a deal over that deal point because this is a situation where if, if you are leasing a space and you're not planning on selling your practice for 20 years, you, you could get a new landlord three or four times during that 20-year period of time that would be more accommodating or Good maybe point. you go after it on a lease renewal. So I wouldn't kill a deal over that concept um, personally, whether it's a new, a new deal or a renewal, but I would work very diligently to a- achieve the correct terminology in the assignability period or assignability provision, excuse me. And then with that, people say, well, what does that look like? You're trying to get the landlord to agree in advance that if you do sell your practice, that they will release you as a personal guarantor and accept the new buyer as the guarantor. And there's criteria you can put into that terminology. There's benchmarks you can put in there. I I don't want to play attorney right now, but I'm I'm aware of what those are. And, And so you can go beyond just having an assignability clause. That's step one, getting it in the lease. That's that's great. But the next step is it's gotta be one that has the ability to release you as a guarantor and to accept the new buyer of your practice as the new tenant. You do not want to guarantee a lease for a space that you legally don't have right to step foot in that space any longer if you sold the practice and you're no longer the tenant of record. You don't, it's like the idea of if you sold your house, there's no way you'd sign up to be a personal guarantor for the buyer's mortgage. Like you would never (laughs) do that. And and a lot of times this, this stuff happens. And then people will say, well, you know, if it's the lease is expiring and I'm not going to be the one signing the new lease, that's great. But you can still find landlords that will try to hold up a transition and get the selling doctor to pay like an exorbitant fee to do the transition or to break the lease or what have you. So anyways, long story short, make sure you have an assignability clause. And then number two, having it's not enough. It's got to have the right terminology in it. So yeah. And just to kind of close the loop on leases and, and landlords, 
So these things can all hold up the deal or the sale of an, the actual dental practice, depending on how good or or bad they are. And kind of with that, I'm I'm hoping maybe we can transition it with with the time that we have left into owned real estate. When a dentist owns the real estate for their dental practice, how does that fit into the sale and the transition out of a dental practice when the dentist owns the real estate that they're they're practicing in? Yeah, that's a great question too. So if you own your commercial real estate, you're going to own it in a separate entity. Your practice should never be the owner of the real estate. Always be a separate LLC. If it's not, get that taken care of in advance with a good attorney. And then when that happens, you've got a couple options. You can choose, number one, to write a, a 10-year lease or a long-term lease with that tenant. And you can you can choose to have them just lease and you stay as an owner and you're basically a, a, essentially picking up an annuity, another source or stream of income. Number two, you could choose to do an outright sale of the building at the same time that you sell the practice. And so getting the property valued, coming up with with numbers that are fair for the real estate in addition to the practice, that's valid. A lot of dentists want to own the real estate and the practice. So that's very desirable for the buyer. You could also do a lease with an option of purchase in the future. You might say, hey, let's do a 10-year lease. Um, I want five more years of cash flow for the real estate, but I will give you a set purchase price after five years or after seven years or whatever terminology or, or term works for you. So you can do an outright lease, you can do an outright purchase, you can do a lease with an option of purchase, or you could write a lease with the, 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 the buying dentist. And then if there's no option for them to purchase, you might decide to sell that to an investment group as well um, at any time you want. So you've got a number of options that are there. The, the keys that you're looking for are you wanna maximize the value of your real estate. If you own the real estate, you want to achieve a leash rate on a monthly basis that number one has to be fair for the buyer, but you want to press you want to press the limits of what that leash rate is. You're going to want to achieve the highest margin you possibly can. So there's no like set number for any deal where someone can say, hey, the leash rate here is $25. It's never a set number. It's always a range. It's at the lowest number, you'd probably be here. At the highest number, you'd be here. And then where you fall in that range depends on a number of factors. It depends on the quality of property. It depends on you know the renovations there, like how recently have things been upgraded. It depends on how desirable the practice is. Uh, if the practice is super profitable, super desirable, it's going to carry a premium on the lease rate. Um, it also gets into ideas like what other options are available if the dentist were to buy your practice and then they wanted to move it in five years or seven years. Do they have legitimate options to do so? If there's a lot of inventory, a lot of options, you know that that affects the lease rate. If there's nothing available whatsoever, whether it's rural or whether it's just a really competitive market, that gives you ability to push the the premium. So there's no one size fits all for that that rent number. But if you're if you're selling the building, you want the highest value possible, but it's still going to be fair for the buyer. If you're leasing it, you want the highest highest lease rate possible, still got to be fair to the buyer. And so that's where you bring in expertise to help you navigate that process. And that's going to be, if I heard you correctly, pretty location specific. Like where I live in Iowa, it's pretty, it's more uncommon for a dentist to sell their practice and not sell the real estate with it. But you get into a more concentrated metropolitan area. I think that would be more common. And then obviously, yeah, like you get into a rural area in Iowa and it's like, if the dentist doesn't sell it to the other dentist, who are they going to sell it to? Yeah. It's, it's kind of going to sit there. So is that a fair takeaway that it's really going to be location specific? Yeah, that's that's a great point. And the way you said it was great too, because let's say you were in a super rural area and if the dentist who bought the practice didn't buy the real estate, if you think you'd have a challenge selling it to someone else or you'd have a challenge achieving the same price on it, then yes, that's maybe motivation to make the, the real estate more competitively priced so you can exit the practice and the real estate simultaneously. But the flip side is true as well. If, if you're in a location where, hey, if the dentist didn't buy this 
this property that a number of other people would be a candidate to buy and they might even pay up a, a higher number. Well, again, that gives you the ability to push the value of that real estate up higher to maximize your return on the investment. At the end of the day, again, you, you want the highest price, but you also want to be fair with it and you want to treat the other part the way you'd want to be treated. Again, it just depends. If you're one of three or four other practices that are for sale within a certain vicinity and they've got a lot of options or maybe you've been trying to sell your practice for a while and it hasn't sold, again, you just have to determine each one's a lever. How hard do you want to pull one lever if it affects the other one? But you know, at the end of the day, if you're in a community where it's very common to sell the real estate with the practice, that's great. But you also control the transaction. So if you say, listen, I will sell you the real estate, but I want five more years of cash flow with the real estate. I'm going to lease it to you for five years and give you an option to purchase. That's a very common transaction as well. Some dentists are going to say, look, I want to wipe my hands with both. I want to sell both and just move on you know, sail off into the sunset. Other ones say, no, I've, you know, I've owned the property for 15 years. If I, if I do five more years in a lease, it'll be fully paid off. And I want to, I want to aim towards that. And so it just depends on what the doctor wants to do. Yeah. Maybe you mentioned it. Um, but I've also seen scenarios too, where you have like a, a bigger city or a bigger metropolitan area where like the dentist wants to sell <laughs> the property. The, the new dentist that's buying the practice wants to buy the real estate, but they can't qualify financially to do both at the same time. So then you get into situations where, well, if the dentist wants to sell the practice, they kind of and they and they want to pick the buyer that they want to pick. They're sort of forced into this issue where they have to lease it for five more years or some set period of time until the new buyer can qualify for financing to to buy the real estate as well. Um, yeah, that that happens all the time, and that's a great point. And in that scenario, it's you know you talk to the lenders, and a lot of times the lenders would be able to give you hopefully accurate information. They'll say, listen, you know, if you give us three years. Of financials that meet these criteria, at that point, yes, we'd be one. We'd be one to sell or have you buy the building from the seller. And so you might have an option to purchase after three years, after five years, after seven years. It doesn't have to just be a one-time thing; it can be incremental. Um, sometimes you'll find sellers that will do seller financing for the real estate, or they'll contribute towards the purchase as well. But yeah, that, that's very common, especially in a day and age when values are are being pushed to the highest level. I don't know if we hit on this directly. But one question I wanted to ask before we start to start to wrap up here is what should the selling practice owner be thinking about in terms of their real estate as they're starting to see the end of the line or that finish line in sight? And kind of an amendment to add on to that question, how does the real estate fit together with the sale of the practice when the real estate is also owned? Because the practice broker, in my experience, is dealing with the practice. And I would think you would want a real estate professional like yourself to, to handle the real estate side of things. How do those two things fit together? Yeah, those are good questions. Um, so let me let me hit the, the first one. What you should be paying attention to with your real estate is is similar to if you were looking at selling a residential house. You know, a new a new coat of paint, new flooring, new ceiling tiles, new lights, new you know window treatments. You know, upgrading a sign here and there. Those things go a long way towards helping you know potential buyers or candidates see the value of your property. If you've got a premier property, maybe you don't have to do hardly anything here. You literally just like contact the practice broker or put it on the market and it sells itself. It's in really great shape. But you know, you should be walking through this space with the eyes of a candidate who's considering buying this. And if you walk into your space and your carpet's old, your walls are dinged up, your doors are dinged up, you know, it makes sense to look at how can I operate some of these things to maximize my value. And again, we're not talking about you becoming like a professional construction company to where you're fixing everything, but you should be paying attention to some of the general aesthetics and you should be looking at it through the eyes of a patient. You should be looking at it through the eyes of a potential buyer. 
And usually you're doing that two, three years in advance. If you're doing it, you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to sell my practice tomorrow, unless there's a health issue or some challenge, as you guys know, do happen. But if you're if you're planning and saying, hey, I'm going to sell my practice in two years, three years, five years, start looking at it, walk into your space fresh, because a lot of times too, doctors will walk into their space and they see it every day. They go through the back entrance or they're used to seeing it. But if you walk into your space from the eyes of a patient or a potential buyer, and you put on a different lens, it's going to give you a different perspective. And you're going to probably find opportunities to improve your space, improve the aesthetics, improve the patient experience. And that's only going to help you over the next two, three to five years as you're preparing to transition. And then in terms of actually you know, getting ready to do it, uh, I highly recommend having someone who specializes in real estate to help determine value or give you information. You're going to find a lot of practice brokers that will say, well, I can do both. And they, they may or may not be qualified. There's some practice brokers that are truly qualified. There's a bunch that are not. And so just because someone's going to help you value the practice doesn't mean they're the best person to help you value the real estate. It doesn't. It never hurts for you to get a second or a third opinion on those things. And you can do so with confidentiality. You can do so with an NDA. You can do so with professionals that are going to protect your confidentiality, people that are seasoned professionals that are going to treat you the right way. Um, but having someone help you with the real estate, help you value it, help you actually in the transaction itself with the buyer, the seller, um, it's going to make the process go a lot smoother. Colin, anything that we haven't hit on today that you think would be important to add before we sort of wrap things up? Yeah, I would say this. I would say, you know, just to, to emphasize or reemphasize the idea that if you're doing a lease renewal, whether you're going to practice for 20 more years or only one year or sell it tomorrow, tremendous opportunity to capitalize on lease renewals. Any real estate transaction that you do, there's $100,000, $300,000 on the line. And so just the, the do-it-yourself approach is fraught with a lot of loss financially for you, a waste of your time. And you're going to most likely open yourself up to other you know, pitfalls and complications that you weren't aware of. So no different than you tell someone, listen, go to the specialist, let them take care of this issue for you. If you, if you need physical therapy, go to a physical therapist. If you, if you need you know, if you need your teeth straightened, you know, go to the orthodontist, like go to the person that does it every day, day in and day out, it has been doing it for decades or for at least years and let that person help you. Same thing for commercial real estate. The name of the podcast is Dentist Puns and Money. Are you ready with your best dental related joke? Yeah. And I just, I wish I was like the dental comedian. I, you know, we, <laughs> we do joke quite a bit. Anytime that we see the dentist that has the saying on the wall, you don't have to brush all your teeth, just the teeth you want to keep. Like that's always a, that's always a, you know, kind of a painful one right there. I guess fun if you've never seen it, but if you've seen it dozens of times, it's, it's pretty hilarious. I will reminisce. I do. You remember back in the day, you'd walk into the dentist and they'd have, they'd have like the covers over, over the fluorescent lights and they'd have like the clouds and the pictures. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I do, I do like reminiscing over the old dental spaces that still paint their, their light covers. I think mean, that's pretty funny too. But yeah, that, that's the best I've got, unfortunately. So you're not going to see me uh, on prime time with a joke, but you will see us prime time with your real estate. How's that? I, I like how you wrapped it and tied it back together at the end. Well done. Well done. Colin, uh, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for being a guest and for sharing your expertise. It's been fun being here. Thanks, Sean. That is Colin Carr, CEO of Carr Healthcare Realty. And we appreciate having him on Dennis Puns and Money. Thanks for listening and following along. Are you a dentist nearing your retirement from clinical or have you already hung up your handpiece? Would you like a treatment plan for the financial components of your exit from clinical? Our company, Dentist Exit Planning, helps dentists like you reduce taxes in retirement 
and optimize how to best live off your assets, including the ideal time for you to start taking Social Security. If you'd like guidance on those critical pieces or just a second opinion, schedule an initial consultation with us on our website. Our web address is dentistexit.com and there's no obligation for your initial consultation. That website again, dentistexit.com. As a reminder, Dentist Exit Planning and Terrell Advisors LLC is a registered investment advisor. The information presented should not be interpreted or construed as investment, legal, tax, financial planning, or wealth management advice. It does not substitute for personalized investment or financial planning from Dentist Exit Planning or Terrell Advisors LLC. Please consult with your accountant and attorney for tax and legal advice. This podcast conveys the views and opinions of Sean Terrell and his guests, and the information herein should not be considered a solicitation to engage in a particular investment, tax planning, or financial planning strategy. Information presented is for educational purposes only, and past performance is not indicative of future results.